I really came to consider how seeking was not the, not just a means, but maybe it was the entire point. I'm Mitch. And I'm Missy. We're co-workers. He's the boss and we're married. And she's the boss. Together, we host Good Faith Weekly, a podcast on faith and culture. What could possibly go wrong? Tune in and find out. Missy. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Missy and I are going to catch up after a long holiday break. We're also going to be talking about the chaos that is unfolding in the U.S. Congress, as well as the tragedy that happened on the field this last Monday night in Buffalo, New York, with football player Damar Hamlin. And then later on, we're going to sit down with author Julia Rocky to talk about her brand new book, Amen, Questions for a God I Hope Exist. It's going to be a great episode, and we're looking forward to you sticking around. Hello there, Missy. Hey, Mitch. How are things with you? Better. Good. You feeling better? I know that you've been out or down a little bit uh, with a cold. You call that a cold? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was trying to be nice. (laughs) Wow. Yes, I did. I mean, I was going to go snot slinging, but... (laughs) (laughs) I did pick up something over Christmas break and, uh, you know, two different types of negative COVID tests, negative flu tests you know, everything test was negative. It just, something got a hold of me and I was miserable. So, um, still, still dealing with the, the the lingering cough that uh, everybody seems to be dealing with, but I feel much better. Good. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better because my cheery self. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you are feeling back to your cheery self because we are broadcasting from a new location this week. We are. We're on a little bit of an adventure this month. Yeah. You want to tell our listeners about it? Well, we're those people that holiday for a month. (laughs) That's right. We are not in Cancun or, (laughs) you know, the French Riviera. Where where are we? We are coming to you from the um, sunny, warm (laughs) metropolis of Lincoln, Vermont. It is. And for those of you who do not know where Lincoln, Vermont is, it is about 30 miles straight. Straight south of Burlington, Vermont. Which is not actually straight because we drove it. <laughs> no, it's, it's very not. Wide. As, as the crow, or really up here, as the turkey flies. Yes, <laughs> so, lots of turkeys Lots of turkeys. So, it is located uh, in the Green Mountains here in northwest uh, Vermont, uh, right beside the New Haven River. It's just really uh, an iconic, beautiful, beautiful place uh, that is remote. But uh, golly, we've already been here one Sunday and I'm already in love with the people. It's a great, great place. So you you alluded to that, and probably anybody who follows you on social media knows mm. because you're posting a lot <laughs> that you are filling in um, here for a church and preaching for the five Sundays of January, and they have a little house here that we were able to stay in, so it's really kind of a fun fun little getaway for us, um, a new situation. 
So Yeah, the United uh, Church of Lincoln invited me to come up and be the pulpit preacher for these five weeks and graciously provided a parsonage. And for anybody who is uh, under 40 listening right now, that is a house that the church owns that they allow the pastor and their family to stay in. So it's just a, it's a great situation and uh, it's a great experience and, uh, yeah. and I already had a good time. A couple of things to note. Um, Sometimes there are times in our marriage when we've been really reminded how much we are city kids. And when I say city kids, I don't mean city, big cities. I mean, probably suburban kids, right? Yeah. So one of those was when we drove over here. We um, traveled via Boston Logan Airport to Hanover, where our son is in college, and we borrowed his car to drive the two hours over here to Lincoln, Vermont. Yeah, and if you look on a two-dimensional map, it looks really easy. Right, it looks super easy. <laughs> so we, we put that address in ways. Oh, yeah, we did. I mean, hey, we because are. we are technically, right. you know, we, we know what we're doing. We're, we're techies. So the first point of concern was when we got to the point in the mountains where it said GPS not recommended. <laughs> yeah, like what? So it's like, wait, we don't have a paper map. <laughs> There are no stores within 50 miles to even buy a paper map. No, so no. we're we're committed to this, right? And uh, I, I do have to admit at this point that my indigenous uh, skills, you know, are not optimal. <laughs> not optimal okay. right now. Okay. So <laughs> we, we went ahead and we just kind of tried to memorize what was on the current GPS screen in case we lost our Waze map. And decided to carry on. And keep in mind, it's it's very, very cold outside. The, the roads are slick, all these things. So we get a little ways down the road, and then we come to a sign that says, end of paved road. <laughs> Which might as well have said, gates of hell. So then, so we're like, okay, we have no choice but to continue on. So we take this, like, really old Buick lacrosse like not we're not in a four-wheel drive car mm-hmm. you guys we're in like an old people sedan so we're driving on this basically mud dirt road mm-hmm. I mean oh. it and it's and it's rainy and yeah. misty and cold and, and the car starts to kind of shake and we just I don't know how we, we made it through we somehow got back to paved roads oh, what was um, the Holy Spirit missing the Holy sure, Spirit brought us sure <laughs> um <laughs> and we got here, and it was funny, we got here on a Saturday, and then uh, the next day when we were able to meet people at the church, they had asked us how we drove in, and we told them, and they all laughed. And like, oh, that road's usually closed. <laughs> yeah, it was quite <laughs> they humorous. They just kind of patted us on the head and said, yeah. oh, you're, you're so cute and so dumb. Yeah. But, but we're here for a month, and uh, we're excited. Uh, please check out uh, my column this week. I write about the general store Can here in Lincoln. No? Well, let's, let's uh, hold off and uh, send them to the I'm column. I tell, them, I tell the story better than you, so... Well, I've already told it. So. Okay, fine. I will, I will say there, there is one thing that has followed us here to Lincoln, Vermont, from Norman, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. The dadgum peanut butter spoon. <laughs> hey, oh, my gosh. guy's got to have what, his protein. What is lacking in your diet? <laughs> I love peanut butter. Sorry. I just, before we started to record, went to like load the dishwasher, and lo and behold, there is a peanut butter-coated spoon in the sink. So I love peanut butter. Sorry about that. that so, love it in Oklahoma. Love it in Vermont. So, um, Well, hey, not only are we living in a new location, but a lot of new things are happening in our nation's capital. 
such as chaos. <laughs> I feel like there's so much that we could talk about again, because I've been mute for two weeks. So have lots that I could say and um, talk about that's going on. But how can we not camp out on the drama that is unfolding in our nation's capital? Yeah, I mean, I've been riveted to uh, the television the last uh, couple of days. Uh, obviously, this recording is dropping on Friday. Uh, we don't know what has happened or transpired over the last 24 hours Should or so. Should we give our predictions? I think that would be kind of funny. <laughs> Okay, so what are you no, predicting? I have no idea. So let's, let's set the stage. Right now, uh, we're, at, we're on our sixth vote. That, I thought we were on our seventh vote. Well, we're about to encounter our seventh vote, but they've already had six. I don't know. I've been playing the drinking game, so I'm not... <laughs> No, so, you, you, so you are wasted. Each vote, you take a shot. No, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Know, uh, that might have been, that fun, might have been fun. Exactly. Poor Kevin McCarthy, uh, who has uh, thought he was going to be Speaker of the House for some time now, has yet to garner enough votes to secure the Speakership. Uh, 20 Republicans in his own caucus is, are not following the script and not allowing him to rise to Speaker. Uh, it is a debacle. It is. It's really uh, shocking to see. Uh, it's embarrassing uh, once again uh, for the federal government globally. It's, we can't even govern ourselves, and so uh, it, it's it's really messy. And so I, I as I have said before, I'm a two party guy. Uh, I lean liberal. There's no doubt about that. But I do believe that we need to have two strong parties to keep each other in check as well as continue to advocate for the principle of compromise. That's how things get done uh, in this country. Kind of like in marriage. I didn't realize compromise was part of our marriage. <laughs> if you mean compromise, meaning do what you say, then yes, I understand that. that. Means, yeah, you are really the 20% of the Republican caucus in our marriage. But, you know, it's it just, it's frustrating. I mean, these 20 are holding everybody else hostage, holding the country hostage because nothing can get done until a speaker is elected. And it just reminds me that there is this component within the Republican Party, and it's not all Republicans, obviously, um, but there is this component who really are more interested in burning everything down and getting their FaceTime on television and getting their sound bites than actually doing the hard work of governing for all people. And it's just, it's just really sad to see. I agree. Once again, though, I'm getting one of the best civics lessons of my life. <laughs> right. I'm ready for these civics lessons to end, I'll be honest. Um, when you ask me to, to make a prediction, I can't make a prediction because I'm not. I don't know that part of the lesson yet. <laughs> All I know is he needs 218. Yep, 218. Votes, and we've tried and, now yeah. six or seven times to get there, and it's not happening. Yeah, um, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, either he's going to have to step aside, and a new candidate is going to emerge. Uh, most likely, Steve uh, Scalise may be the new House or may new, be the new Speaker, or there's going to be other deals done with the uh, Democrats. I mean, it, I mean, it really is. Everything is up in the air at this point. And so the next couple of days are going to be interesting. And even as this pod drops, we still may not know who the Speaker of the House is. So uh, we'll see. Yeah. 
Well, another thing happened this week that was absolutely just tragic and horrifying. On the Monday night, or in during the Monday night football game uh, between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, there was just a regular play that took place. Uh, Cincinnati had the ball, um, and two players collided, an offensive player from Cincinnati and a defensive player from Buffalo, DeMar Hamlin. And after the play had completed, uh, DeMar was standing there and then just collapsed. Right. And we're told that he had went into cardiac arrest. Uh, they had to revive him there on the field using CPR. And he's thankfully now in critical condition, but still... Uh, a lot of worry about what took place. Well, I don't uh, know about thankfully, but it's better than the alternative. Oh, yeah, is. sure. Absolutely. Uh, so our prayers are with him, his family, the Buffalo Bills, the NFL. Uh, I'm so glad that the NFL abandoned the game. Uh, they don't really know what's going to happen. The playoffs are in a couple of weeks, and they're trying to figure that out. But uh, I, they did the right thing. They absolutely did the right thing. Uh person's life, people's emotions, life is much more important than a, a simple game. Absolutely. We don't follow the NFL regularly, so I don't know what the implications of that are, but I, from what I see on Twitter, this is a big, hot topic of um, whether or not the NFL intended to cancel that game or not. So, I don't know. My thought is absolutely. There's no question. Yeah, and this has happened before. I mean, you know, it's happened on the football pitch in uh, the Euros, uh, a couple of years ago was Van Erickson, uh, who collapsed of cardiac arrest. It's happened in basketball games. And when something happens like that, every one of the players, every one of the officials, everybody who witnessed that uh, is immediately traumatized. And there's no, abs- there's no reason, no excuse to go on. Absolutely. I've, I did hear a snippet on the news I think today where they were talking about the mental health resources that are available for, for all the players and the staff and everybody who's there, which is wonderful and absolutely should happen. However, my first thought is that's not the case for everybody who experiences that kind of trauma. And, um, but we are getting better at it. I mean, you're, you're you're hearing about, uh, offices, um, you know, universities, colleges, schools who are taking mental health very seriously. And when anything like this, uh, of tragedy, uh, ensues that one of the first thoughts by those institutions and organizations and companies is to uh, take care of the mental health of, of, their people and hopefully that will only grow absolutely well, well you and i get to sit down wait yeah. hang on oh. i don't even think we told each other happy new year or our listeners happy new year this is our first podcast it is of 2023, 2023. So yeah well happy new that. year listener so <laughs> well you and i get to, had the privilege of sitting down with author julia rocky this week she's got a new book amen questions for a god i hope exist and she was just absolutely delightful and i think uh, our audience is going to really appreciate our interview with her. Stay tuned. Hey, listeners, check us out online at goodfaithmedia.org and follow us on social at gfmedia.org. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'm new here and could really use the feedback, but only if it's glowing. Thanks for listening.
Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. Julia Rocky writes prose, prayers, and poetry at juliarocky.com. That's Julia Rocky, R-O-C-C-H-I.com. Her newest book, Amen, Questions for a God I Hope Exist, is a collection of graceful musings, prayers, and poems for a wandering, wondering, doubt-laden, hope-filled faith that reflects the desire to believe as much as believe itself. And I love, love that character of the book. Julia, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we are delighted that you're with us today. We got lots to unpack. Uh, the book is wonderful. First and foremost, congratulations on the book. It's great. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. It's a true labor of love. So before we dive into the book and discuss some of the content, uh, tell our listeners what inspired you to write the book. Sure. So this book has been over 15 years in wow. the making. It first started out as a blog titled then Italian Mother Syndrome uh, <laughs> that I began in my early 20s after I had graduated college. I was living back home with my parents in the Philadelphia area. And as a practicing Roman Catholic, I wasn't finding many peers mm. in the Catholic Church who were willing or eager to engage in questions of faith, or they weren't willing to grapple with mystery. The folks I was encountering were more often than not uh, likely to be a little more orthodox, a small O in their approach. And I did what any self-respecting millennial did. I started a blog about it, put my (laughs) questions out into the void of the internet. And over time, as it became a regular spiritual practice of mine to write these reflections, I a decade or so passed and I realized, oh, wow, I have captured a whole faith journey here. I wonder if this would be of interest or value to others. And that's when I began working on it as a book manuscript. Well, we are certainly glad to to put it together and publish this book. You mentioned in the introduction, one of our favorite thinkers and theologians and Christians that we lost way, way too early in Rachel, Rachel Held Evans. We all miss her dearly, but I know that she was an inspiration for you as well. So, so you mentioned growing up kind of in a traditional Catholic upbringing, you experienced growing up a lot of questions from your peers that, you know, quite frankly, challenged you yet, even though those questions challenged you, you always return to a comforting definition of the church. And I wanted to find that definition, or I want to uh, characterize that definition in your own words. You define church as God embodied a community of seekers, a group of people who desire to orient their lives around love. Absolutely adore that definition. How did those questions as you grew up challenge you? And how did this definition of the church help bring a better understanding to your faith? Over time, the more I was learning about my Catholic faith and the more that I got to meet and interact with people from other belief systems, including atheism, not necessarily established religious Mm -hmm. practice, I really came to consider how seeking was not the, not just a means, but maybe it was the entire point. Mm -hmm. And that in asking questions and being in community with people who accepted that you wanted to ask questions and were willing to engage with you around them without judgment or without reproach, 
created such a richer relationship between people and for me enabled a richer relationship with God. It was freedom in a sense because you didn't feel like you had to have all the answers. And in mm. fact, I ended up feeling kind of encouraged that uh, I wasn't supposed to and never would have all the answers. And it, it's liberating in a way. Yeah. So the, the point about orienting a community oriented around love, no matter what community I was moving through, when people assumed good intent and they welcomed me with love and hospitality and thus my questions with love and hospitality, we just went so much farther, faster in those conversations and in those relationships. And I think that's really how I arrived at that concept of small C church as being oriented around that love. Well, Julia, we really related to that part of the book because I can't speak for Missy, but, well, I can speak for Missy, but I won't. <laughs> that's, right. <laughs> that's right. You know, I grew up as well as Missy, uh, deep rooted Southern Baptist. And so those communities, while they talked about love a lot, there was not a lot of openness about challenging questions. And if there were questions, there were certain answers to those questions that there was always an answer to. There wasn't really this probing, uh, th this, you, you mentioned the word seeking or this search for faith. There wasn't this ability and freedom to pursue doubt, not in a particular, oh, I'm doubting everything, but in an, inquis an inquisitive manner, that you're asking very hard questions to deepen your faith. And so that this, this part of the book really spoke well to me and to the importance of having a community that is centered on love and not certainty is vitally important. That is one of the things that I, I really took from it. So how, how, I mean, how important for listeners now who are out there having these questions that uh, are very challenging and may go against the orthodoxy of their childhood, how important is is it for them to find a community that is centered on faith that gives them the freedom to ask those questions? So the first thing I would say to people in that scenario is you are very much not alone. Yeah. I, everybody, I really believe everybody to a certain extent is asking questions and it's just the degree to which they are comfortable voicing them out loud. And I'm at a stage personally in my faith formation where I've written a book about it. So I, I am very comfortable saying out loud. And my hope with putting it in black and white on paper was to continue that legacy of Rachel Held Evans. You, you cited her, Mitch, a couple minutes ago. That she, re she really made it uh, acceptable and welcome for people to bring forth their doubts and consider it as part of an examined faith. And I consider this my small and humble entry into that very long tradition. You ask about the importance of finding the community there. It's so hard to feel alone in that questioning. And I think we, with the decline of organized religion participation in the United States, people are losing many of those traditional communities where they could have started asking those questions or it could have been the first place they tried. And we're trying as a society to figure out other ways and other places to ask them. And while I think 
the internet is uh, offers a lot of opportunity for people. It can also be completely overwhelming, and it's not often as personal as going to a house of worship in your community that you can walk to perhaps or easily drive to and walk in and see real human beings sitting there in the pews ready to chat with you. I think that the way to overcome that, the not necessarily being in person, is not necessarily to find like-minded people in the sense that you're finding people who will simply agree with what you're saying. I, When I say finding like-minded people, I'm talking about folks who are equally comfortable with mystery and want to engage with mystery the same way you do. And you will, you will not be asking the same questions. You will not be at the same speed along what is ultimately a winding journey anyway. But you're all there to hold each other's hands mm. and, and walk together. And I think when I when I think of community in this online age, in this increasingly physically disconnected age, that's what that means to me. That's a great piece of advice. So there was another moment early in the book that we found very interesting, and it was a conversation you had with your brother. He told you he wanted to have faith, but had to be honest and say he did not. He was an atheist. Your response made the conversation more intriguing when you confessed that you had faith because you, quote, wanted to have faith. Can you unpack that conversation a little bit for us? Yes. And Missy, you really hit on what I consider to be a key theme of the book in that I have no answers and I have no definitive proof that a God exists. I mean, it's in the subtitle of the book, right? Mm -hmm. Questions for a God, I hope it exists. And that cute word there, it's like, I hope it exists. I want to live my life in a way that assumes God exists. And I want to live in a way worthy of a higher calling. I want to be connected to something greater than myself. And the ways that I accomplish that life purpose for me personally is through uh, religion and spirituality and contemplation thereof. That was not the case for and has remained not the case for my brother for the past 15 years or so. Still, he is a values-driven, highly moral person in service to his community through his work. The key difference being... I espouse a, be- a belief or a desired belief in a God, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things that's not in that essay, actually, was what happened after I wrote the original version of that reflection. My brother was very touched uh, that I had taken the time to write this out and to share my thinking. And with my permission, he's, he shared it to a forum on Reddit oh, that wow. he was a part of. <laughs> So you can still tell where this is going, right? Yeah, sure. right? Like, oh, yeah, such a place for calm discourse. But he shared it to an atheist forum he was a part of on Reddit at, with the lead-in saying, this really touched me. I wish all of us could approach conversations this way. This is what happens when someone you love you know, writes about this. So he put it out there kind of with that framework. And you can imagine the comments that flooded mm-hmm. to my blog as a result of that, the tenor of which 
completely caught me off guard because some people said, oh, thank you. This is a really nuanced and loving approach. And we appreciate you putting it out there. And then a lot of people were just saying, see, this is what all the sheep say. And this is just another <laughs> example. And my, my brother said to me offline, he said, this is so aggravating. It's like, this is it was the exact reason I shared it was because it was, it was a thoughtful response right. and it was honest and you were not attempting to convert anybody. Um, but that experience really, uh, in a stark way, heightened for me the importance of of listening and sitting within my own doubts and kind of leaning on the discomfort to see what it revealed to me. Discomfort as a tool for discernment, in a mm. sense. I love that. Discomfort yeah. for discernment. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that is great. So, you also recall in the book uh, about your participation in a study that mentioned World War II resistant German theologian Martin uh, Niemöller. Niemöller famously famously said, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came to, for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Niemöller's convictions and message force you to ask this important question. And, oh my gosh, this is so good, Julia. Do I live with the consequences of my faith? This question really forced us to question the melding of orthodoxy and orthopraxis. That what we believe, does it have an impact on what we do and those around us? Can you tell us about Niemöller's challenge for you? What I found so challenging in learning more around the context of his life, because that that quote or misattributions of it get shared around sure. a, a lot, usually around social justice observations and <laughs> calendar dates throughout the year, and learning more about his life and about the fact that he was putting his life on the line for his convictions made me question, in my comfortable, stable life, what am I doing to put skin in the game? And I still, you know, I wrote that a couple of years ago, and I still feel that answering that in a way that lives up to our gospel calling is going to be a lifetime's work. The courage that it requires is not courage that I fully have. And I don't know if I, I don't know if I ever sure. have it. Yeah. I, I'm definitely kind of in fake it till I make it mode <laughs> <laughs> at the moment. Um I also question a lot for me personally, you know, when we think about those of us who are spiritual and are thinking about ways to live out that spirituality, I firmly believe we we each have a vocation of some sort and a particular charism that we're given. I feel called to writing and reflecting and sharing like we're doing here today. And sometimes I wonder Am I leaning on on that as a quieter approach? Am I, when what I should really be doing is pushing myself to be 
more activist, even if I'm not feeling like, should I be the marcher? Should I be the person participating in acts of civil disobedience? That, that idea, the idea of, you know, learning how to be civilly disobedient and getting arrested for it. Just like <laughs> my stomach is a knots, even like imagining right. that. And I, and I think, am I, should I go toward that fear and examine how I might be able to embody those actions in some way? Am I taking an easy way out by saying, well, that's not my vocation. Other people are going to go put themselves on the front lines. I don't really have an answer for that in my life right now. And that's why every time I I reread that quote by Niemöller, I think um, I'm just going to keep taking baby steps (laughs) toward this. So I figure out what this, this concrete conviction really means in my life. But Julia, what you're doing, especially with your writing, I mean, just the, just the audacity of being honest and quite simply, you know, with the remark that Missy read a moment ago with your conversation with your brother, simply saying, you know, uh, I have faith because I really want to have faith. That admission that, you know, our faith has a lot to do with our upbringing and, you know, where we were born and the churches that we attended at a young age. But also alongside that, the honesty of the question that you constantly question. I mean, even in the the premise of the book, it's a God you hope exists. And in that that statement, there opens the possibility that maybe this God doesn't exist. Even in that is resistance. Even in that is unorthodoxy when it comes to standing up. And by doing that, as you've already experienced with Reddit, that there's going to be a lot of people who admonish you for that. So uh, I want to affirm you, is, is what I'm trying to say, is that by your writings, your poetry, your words, you are taking a risk. You are living out your faith in a very public manner. So your words are standing side by side by those people who are marching in the streets. And so never forget that because I, I think you're doing exactly what God's calling you to do and you're making a great impact. I struggle with the same thing. And we've had this conversation many times over the last few years because I am not the bull by the horns getting somebody's face, but um, just try to take opportunities where I can to, to advocate when somebody else says, Hey, do you want to come with me to do this? I try to say, Yes, I may stand like a half a beat behind you because in reality, I am not the person you want in the front, but I'll be there. So that's But you also show your resistance through your passive aggressiveness. I mean, that is your spiritual that's gift. That's my spiritual gift. <laughs> it truly is. I mean, you're going to bring down the empire just by that. That's right. Thanks for outing me on that one. <laughs> but you also, Julia, I, I feel like I relate to you um, in so many ways. And in other ways, you, you admit in this book, something I think I'm not the only one who can relate to, but as an advocate for prayer, prayer, excuse me, you don't like to pray. (laughs) I want to discuss this because I feel like maybe, I don't know, this is one of those things the Reddits may come after us for, (laughs) but uh, why do you say it's essential but difficult to practice? My definition of prayer, as I've read and learned more over the years, has expanded. And I think for me growing up uh, Catholic saying bedtime prayers every night, having a liturgy with many set prayers that we would go through uh, every week at mass. I think I had, I used to have a much more limited idea of what prayer 
meant. And it was actually through writing first with the blog and then working on this book that my definition became more expansive because I realized that the presence and the flow that I was achieving in writing these regular reflections seemed to mirror what other people described as their experiences of prayer when they would kneel in church or when they would go on a pilgrimage or when they would meditate. And it was the idea of intentionality behind it, that we are putting ourselves in the presence of something larger than ourselves for a moment, at least. And breathing, even breathing is a prayer. That was some, that's something I've come to understand, mm-hmm. like that idea of reconnecting to the ground underneath our feet, to the sense of the world around us, to the idea that we are not the center of the world. That in itself, I think, is, is even the most basic form of prayer. And once I realized how many flavors and shapes prayer could take, I've relaxed a little on that stance about somebody who doesn't like to pray. I've, I've reframed it for myself. And when I sit down and write, and then I write my monthly reflections and my monthly prayers, and when I was editing this book, it was like having one huge extended prayer all the mm. time. Yeah. Well, it goes back to that Pauline idea of praying without or pray without ceasing. And I don't think Paul meant, you know, the, the traditional idea of prayer, always vocalizing that prayer. It's this the state of consciousness that you're in, whether you're walking or riding or sitting in silence, you're in this state of connection with the divine. And so uh, I, I, I really I like to think of it like a meditative. Yeah, state, yeah. Kind oh, of like good. what you're talking about, even in the breathing or in the things, the practices that you're already doing as a opposed to a transaction of basically putting in a time off request at work, you know, when you're at night in bedtime prayers and okay, God, here's my list. Are you going to approve, you know, check the box or whatever? I think it's just, like you said, opening your mind to it being so much more than just that. Yeah. Are you needing more time off from work again? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Uh, You know, I love the book. I mean, and and the book is really outstanding. And where can our readers go to purchase the book? Readers can head to lakedrivebooks.com slash amen. Mm -hmm. And there you'll find all the different purchase options for the book, including Amazon or the audiobook version on Audible. You can also check out your local independent bookseller and order it through them. So uh, wherever folks feel most comfortable finding their copy. Yeah. Well, there's so much more to the book. We would love, we could spend all day talking to you about uh, the chapters and uh, the writings and poetry and prose that went into the book. In fact, as I found myself working through the material, I kept hearing my GPS voice in my mind saying recalculating because you were making me recalculate everything that I was thinking of uh, when I picked the book up, whether that is, you know, orthodoxy, orthopraxis, prayer, uh, trust, faith, all of that. It was, you, you challenge us in a very delicate and beautiful way to rethink these things as we are on this search for faith. And one of the most important components of the book is your beautiful, beautiful poetry. It's been very interesting with the book uh, since it's been out. So many people are leading with the poetry piece of it or referring mm. to me as a poet or talking about the poetry rather than referring to them as prayers. And 
I'm thinking, okay, maybe I can get used to this idea of it, <laughs> of it being poetry. Um, so I think for, for me, when, whether you're considering it a prayer or a poem, mm-hmm. the root of each one is usually an image uh, or some type of experience that is what I then build the reflection around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from that image grows the poem. So that's how I approached a lot of the um, different poems and prayers in here. I almost, I see, I almost did a portmanteau. I don't think that's going to catch on. uh, Well, they are very well done. (laughs) And each chapter concludes with your writings and they're just, they're, they're spectacular. And so I have asked you to read one of these poems for us on air. So what have you chosen for us? And we look forward to hearing it. So I have chosen the poem that I end the book on. And in fact, it is titled A Prayer to End On. And I just want to offer a little bit of context before I read this, that as I alluded to earlier, writing the book was a faith journey for me. And because the original compositions span the last 15 years of my life, there are has been a tremendous amount of growth and change and transformation and epiphany in my own life. And I kept encountering my past selves on the page. And it was almost like having a written photo album that I would reread something or I'd go to edit it and I would be immediately back at a distinct moment of time in my life. And I would remember exactly what I was feeling and experiencing. And to look back on it with my eyes right now and my life experiences right now, lent so much more depth to it and really showed me that the narrative arc of my own faith life and my own belief and uh, development of my relationship with what Mm -hmm. I believe to be God. So while I, while this prayer is titled a prayer to end on, it is barely an ending. You know, I would say we, let's consider it a pause or a breath because these questions are all continuing and my journey continues with it. And so I would love readers to, to join me in that. A prayer to end on. Amen, I say to you, amen. I affirm, I trust, I celebrate you. I say, so be it. And for once, I mean it. Because the wordless prayer I've long desired, the one I've practiced for, striven for, hoped for, I have finally achieved. Now I know what a wordless prayer sounds like. It is a keen and whoop, a snore and swoon, a grumble, a giggle, a gasp. Now my soul voice resonates your whisper. My muscles recognize your movement. My intuition revels in your love. For now I have prayed the most honest prayer a prayer beyond language, a prayer without end. Amen. And amen. Thank you so much for sharing with us. That is absolutely beautiful. Well, Julia, before we let you go, we have our one final question we always ask. As you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is, there's more to tell. So in light of your work and our conversation today, what is your more to tell? When I was writing Amen, I made the conscious 
editorial decision to incorporate my personal narrative arc into the story. And I ended it in the early days of my marriage. I've now been married six years. I'm a mother to two small children. And my more to tell as I have been in this vastly different stage of life than when I originally wrote a lot of the material is that the questions keep coming and they get stronger and they get tougher. And as our relationships uh, develop and change over time, not just with spouses or children, but with our parents, with our friends, with our community, with our uh, worship communities as well, is to stay open and to stay listening and not listening for an answer necessarily. That's what I'm saying, but listening to what questions are bubbling up for you and listen for the voices of people who are asking them as well. And then follow that voice in the dark and see where it leads you. Sage advice, sage advice. Well, Julia Rocky, thank you so much for joining us at Good Faith Weekly. Her new book, Amen, Questions for a God I Hope Exist, is in bookstores and online. And you can click on the link in the show notes and go buy the book. It is absolutely worth uh, every penny that you're going to spend on it. So, Julia, thank you so much for being with us this week. Thank you both. This has been a real treat. What a great conversation we just had with Julia Rocky about her new book, Amen, Questions for a God I Hope Exist. And even in the title, Missy, it started me thinking, Questions for a God I Hope Exist. That is really provocative. What kind of God do you hope exists? Is it, is, because as an adult, I don't know about you, but as an adult, I find myself sometimes yearning for those younger days, those more naive days where I thought the universe was just, you know, designed and played out and God was this big wizard of, su- of such that just uh, took care of everything. But as I grew as I grew older, more mature, and my faith changed, all of that kind of came into question. So, what kind of God do you hope exists? Is it the God of your childhood? And and I'm not saying not you know tell me what God you think exists, but what do you hope for? Oh, wow! <laughs> um, you didn't warn me of that question. I. In my current state, I hope one does exist. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have talked about this before, that we have become very comfortable with doubt mm-hmm. as a part of faith and uncertainty as a part of faith. And, you know, it, it, like you talk about as a child, you think that God's taking care of everything and everyone as an adult. You understand that the world is not a kind place to many people who inhabit it. And that's really hard to grapple with in term when you think of a loving God who's taking care of his children in, in the earth and how could some people live so differently than we do. I hope that there is a God that exists that aches for those who are hurting. 
that loves all people. Mm-hmm. That is very much part of our world and part of a human existence. But I don't know that I, I just don't, that's, that's a tough question. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the world can be a cruel place for some people. And yeah. so, you know, I, I hope, I would love for God to exist who would fix all of those things. Sure. But I also understand the problems with that as well. Right. Well, I think, you know, the original question, you know, that you touched on in your answer, you know, first of all, does a God exist? I certainly hope that there is a God that exists. Now, you also have to ask the question, what if there is not a God? And okay. I've struggled with that. I mean, and I've, I've, I've wrestled with that in my own faith. Uh, I think anybody who takes their faith seriously uh, has asked that question before. And I don't think there's anything wrong with asking that question. Um, and so I started to, to kind of analyze philosophy and how everybody sees the world differently. And for me the world makes more sense to think that there is a divine providence that exists, that whether that is through divine connections, working through the human experience, I just think that there's something greater in the universe than us. Right. And I hope that that exists. That brings me comfort. But I also understand that there are people who do not believe the way I believe, and do not need that uh, explanation to make for their world to make sense, and I respect that as well. And so that's where I have grown in my faith. That for me, believing that there is a God that interacts with humanity brings me comfort. But for those who suggest otherwise, whatever they believe in, whether that's science or, you know, and I, I don't want to put those two against one another, but whatever they believe in, that brings them comfort. I'm fine with that as well. But for me personally, I believe uh, in divine providence and a divine God. So, you know, I, I hope God exists. And, and I think you characterize it best in what you said, that kind of God, that's the kind of God I hope exists as well. I, something that Julia said in the interview kind of is applicable here when she talks about settling in with doubt and leaning into discomfort for discernment and being equally comfortable with mystery. Mm. And I think that's been such, um, I mean, to use the word again, a comforting part of growing older and I hope wiser of being okay with the mystery and like you said, with knowing that this is, I believe in a divine providence and that's something that gives me comfort, but also being okay with, with the mystery of it and not feeling that I have to convince, this isn't a debate, I don't have to convince the guy next door that they have to believe or find comfort or find um, meaning and purpose in the same way that I do. That is such an important point, uh, especially for, for my personal faith, because I believe, or at least I want to. I want to believe that my faith is stronger now than it has ever been in my fifty-two years of existence. Mm-hmm. But the reason it is stronger now 
has nothing to do with certainties that I have gleaned over these 52 years. In fact, my faith is stronger because there are more questions that I have and more uncertainties that I have. And therefore, with those uncertainties and those questions and those doubts, I've had to rely more and more upon my faith. It seems as though in a more traditional understanding of faith, it is the opposite, Mm -hmm. is that you have to have certainty. You have to have these questions answered. You you have to be apologetic from the standpoint of arguing uh, the existence of God, arguing the necessity of salvific uh, representation through Jesus Christ. You have to argue all these things and win the argument, win the debate. But to me, that lessens faith. Mm-hmm. For me, the thing that strengthens faith is the questioning, is the, the speculation about this world, because the less, the less I feel comfortable in this world, the more I depend upon God, and the more I celebrate the mysteries of this world, because this world is phenomenal right. so I, I i that's that's where i am well that's very deep but something <laughs> that julia said in her more to tell as well that applies here is she talks about not listening for an answer but listening for the questions mm. and i feel like that i just so wish that that had been the foundation from the beginning of you know a faith journey of listening for the questions because like you said, in, in the questions and in the uncertainties is where the faith strengthens. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the, the culture in which I grew up and you grew up, it's like you're, you're seeking out this certainty. Right. You know, and are you sure mm-hmm. you know Jesus? You know, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Are you sure? And, you know, planting that doubt was such a, a, a bad thing. Because you had to be sure, but it's it's so different for me now. The the doubt, the curiosity, the questions, the uncertainty is is just so important to faith. Mm-hmm. My faith will grow over ten well constructed questions, over one really well constructed answer. Right. And to me, if we were to put an put an ending on the term God, it would be a question mark. It wouldn't be an exclamation mark or even a period. It would be a question mark Mm -hmm. because God is always evolving in God's own understanding and existence Uh, because we try to pin God down. We try to, you know, define God as we understand God but we're only doing that through our perspective, through our culture, through our, uh, our period of time. But God moves, God is not limited to time and space, and therefore God is always changing and evolving, which brings mystery into the world, which I think we should celebrate. We don't celebrate the mystery enough, and I think that's what Julia talks about in her book. I agree. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed what she had to say. I especially enjoyed our little conversation about, uh, in the part in the book about prayer. And mm-hmm. um, 
kind of redefining what that is, what that means. Um, what is your, I mean, because that that's an interesting question, because, I mean, you and I have talked about this. Um, I'm not a big proponent of praying out loud. Um, you know, I think prayer at football games is ridiculous. God doesn't care about <laughs> who wins or loses the game. Um, you know, I understand why people think it's important culturally, but the reality is we're told Jesus teaches us to go into our prayer closets and pray. Um, you know, and the Pharisees and Sadducees, he condemns for praying out loud, using verbose language and all of that. Um, thinking about unorthodox ways of praying, um, what are some of your favorite ways to pray? I know Julia mentioned quite a few in her interview. I, f- I feel like in growing up, I feel like this was such a bad word, but being spiritual or spiritual, but not religious, especially mm-hmm. that was kind of like, Ooh, then you're, you're definitely not quote unquote saved. But I do feel like there's something to that now in my understanding of being in the moment, being present, recognizing God in the mundane, recognizing the conversations you have with God throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we happen to be living right now, right across from a beautiful river that we can step outside and just listen to. Mm-hmm. And I think just being open at any moment to hear that voice of God is what just brings your your faith and your understanding of the creator into a whole new level that it's not about laying down at night and, and like I said, reading off your checklist of here's what I want, here's what I'm doing, here's what I would like you to fulfill. Um, so for me, it's more of just being alert and aware and cognizant of God around you at all times mm-hmm. of, of creation, of, of love, you know, th- whether that's through the people you encounter, whether that's through nature, whether that's through situations, um, I think it's just a constant kind of communion with, with God. You know, I love that explanation because you just, you, you challenged me to think the, the correlation between an attempt to define God versus an attempt to define beauty. How do you define beauty? You can't. I mean, you just absolutely cannot define beauty because beauty is in, in a lot of instances in the eye of the beholder. Uh, but it's almost not undefinable. But undefinable. Undefinable, yeah. Um, and so is God. And in both of those, mystery surrounds it and uh, and moves through through all of it. And so to me, that's, that's a great way of looking at it. And you're connected to that. You're connected to that, mis- that mystery, to that beauty, to that divine movement. And those are the moments that are more convincing of God and his presence mm-hmm. is her God's presence. Sure. Right? Um, than anything, you know, yeah. is, is in the running of the water that we hear, the rustling of the leaves, you mm-hmm. know, the, the falling of the snow or whatever it is. You know, those are the moments that are to but me. They're all, but they're also, they're also in these moments that are incredibly frustrating and can completely, I mean, let's just be honest. There are moments that make us incredibly angry. One was such that took place the last 48 hours where we took our kid's car from Hanover to Lincoln, Vermont, and it broke down. Mm-hmm. But you begin to think of it, you know, taking a step back after the frustration of, you know, breaking down and having to spend money on it, that thank goodness it 
did that for us because right. we were able to navigate it. We had the time to do it. You know, we got it to a garage. We, we weren't took care on of the it. unpaved road. Yeah, we weren't on the unpaved road. Yeah, I mean, everything kind of unfolded for if something bad like that was going to happen, it happened in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. And even in those moments, you see God at work. Sometimes it's difficult to acknowledge that and be appreciative of that, <laughs> but <laughs> needless to say, God is at work. So I hope that that is the God who exists. And so I appreciate uh, Julia's, uh, her book, her poetry, her prose, uh, a lot of great questions she asked uh, in her book. Absolutely. Well, it's been a good episode. Uh, I mean, hopefully we will survive another week here in the frozen tundra of Vermont. Uh, but uh, so far, it's it's been really great. And we'll have some more stories for you next week uh, out of Lincoln, Vermont. Absolutely. Maybe I'll venture into the basement. And, <laughs> I don't know. I'm terrified of the basement, you guys. <laughs> there are noises. We're there are noises that come out. We're probably a hundred-year-old house or so. I don't yeah, know. and if you have a suggestion for uh, Missy's uh, podcast, podcast narrator, narrator podcast. and title uh, please right. put those That's in right. the comments so uh, we'll see you next week hope you have a great week and as missy suggested earlier happy new year everybody You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond5. And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org. <laughs>